in July 1987, um, the first two years I spent here, I spent on evangelism and on just teaching the Word of God verse by verse and then finding out what I need to prioritize. And so what happened is that I began to say, well, you know, people don't really understand a biblical form of church government. And what I mean by that is a biblical eldership, a plurality of elders in the church and a plurality of deacons in the church and what they actually do. Uh, So I began to preach on that. And that, if if a person first hears about it from the word of God, usually it may be the first time they ever heard it. And if they did hear it, or they heard bits and pieces of it, they still didn't understand how it all functioned in the church and what deacons are supposed to do, what elders are supposed to do. A lot of churches just have deacons doing everything, and then they have one preaching pastor. But no passage suggests in any uh, place in the Word of God that there should be one person, but there's always a plurality. Now, there may be one person initially when they start a church, but eventually, as that church grows and matures, deacons and elders will be put in place. So the passage that I want to really focus on this Lord's Day will focus on elders and deacons, and I'll use many passages, and I'll put some things on the screen so you don't have to turn to every one of them. But there's only two offices in the church, and that is the office of elder and the office of deacon. And in light of the teaching of Scripture, the duty of the church is to appoint elders and deacons. So I bring really this responsibility before you of our church and those who are visiting and supporting those who are uh, involved in this service today. And as a gathered body at Calvary Community Church, that we need to ordain our elders and deacons. We've done this formally at least two times, three times, and this would be the fourth time. But there is a scripture that comes to mind, and that is in Titus that we did not read. But in verse 4 and 5, which I've highlighted there, it says, To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the, uh, the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior, for this reason... I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains. And then it says, and appoint elders in every city as I directed. So the church was given the mandate right in the beginning of the birth of the church that the church would have leaders that would lead the church spiritually and make sure the mercy ministries of the church were taking place. Now, There are three words that sometimes people get uh, mixed up in their mind when you're reading scripture, and but these three words have to are really focused in on on one person, and that one person and their different functions and responsibilities within the church. The first one is the word elder. That's the Greek word presbyteros, and this word emphasizes who the man is the character of his heart and life. An elder also includes someone who is older. It has uh, 
he has an increasing level of spiritual maturity and is full of the spirit and wisdom. The second word is the word bishop or overseer. We get the Greek word episkopos. You get the word episcopal from that, but epi means over, and the second part of that, scopus, would be that of someone who has a guardianship, who guards over other people. And the word really emphasizes what he does, his function. And then there is a third word in Scripture that is used, and that is the word pastor, maybe the most common one that we understand, but it's the word shepherd, poimin, the Greek word, and the word emphasizes his attitude, how he feels toward his sheep and who has, uh, that has been entrusted to him and a shepherd is really one who takes care of a community of believers, including guiding and caring for and looking after with emphasis on the governing aspects of his, his, his administrative rule. Now, there, are, there is a passage of Scripture, that uh, several passages in Acts, that brings all these three words together, and it is the passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, which is on the screen. And it says this in verse 17, from Miletus, Paul, that's the apostle Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when when they had come to him, he said to them in verse number 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now, that those three words coming together, really focusing in on the one person and the many responsibilities the elder would have in the church. It's not three different things. It's the one person with his, func- his different functions. Now, there's two areas that I would like to bring to your attention that the Bible actually emphasizes. We read the passage of Scripture this morning And, of course, in the eldership, the character and the qualities of church elders. In other words, God's looking for a few good men. You know, I guess I think the Marine Corps robbed that. Right? He's looking for, and that's that's why when you read through this passage of Scripture, you find that's exactly what he's doing. He's looking for a few good men. And it says... These are all the things. I just want to mention them briefly through the passage from Titus and also from 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says, number one, he is, he, if any man is above reproach, that means be uh, somebody who can't really be criticized or, in other words, blameless or unpeachable, uh, that he has, this is a controlling characteristic that any accusation leveled against this particular person cannot really have take any footing uh, against him. He's a man above reproach. He lives a dignified life. Also, he is uh, the husband of one wife, that he's a one-woman man, and that Bible stresses that is the case. And then thirdly, that he has children who believe. Now, here in Timothy and Titus, it could also mean that children that are faithful, not necessarily that they have believed in Christ yet, but they're faithful to their father's rule in the home. That, that is a rule in which he is uh, 
directing and guiding them and leading them uh, and that he is not someone or his children are, are not someone that are in, is involved with uh, reckless living or just senseless deeds uh, and just a recklessness about their lives. So his children are under his authority and they are obeying him, in other words. And then he's not accused of dispensation or rebellion. Here he is one who uh, is really not a partier or a rebel, but he is one who takes seriously, being God's steward, he takes seriously the task that God gives to him as not only a father, but also one who wants to manage his home and manage the sacred trust that God gives to him. He's also someone that is not self-willed nor arrogant, meaning he doesn't seek his own will uh, as a priority, but he seeks God's will in the word of God and is willing to hear sound and wise reasoning and make decisions based on a balanced thought. That's the kind of person he is. Also, he's not quick-tempered. He's slow to anger, and he knows that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God, as the epistle of James tells us. He walks not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's not a perfect man, but he's a a man who's heading in a direction and stepping in a, in a way that God is pleased with him. Also, he's not addicted to wine, doesn't habitually drink too much, not a drunkard, in other words. Uh, and, of course, this means that uh, an officer of the church doesn't have to be a teetotaler. Apparently, he may be a responsible user of alcohol, but he must not be controlled by any substance at all, whether it be alcohol or any kind of drugs, whether it's prescription or otherwise, he is to be a man who has that kind of stamina that he can say no to things and know when uh, to use them and when not to. He's also not pugnacious, not a violent brawler, uh, doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. Uh, and so he's not also fond of sordid gain, meaning that he uh, is not greedy about profit or about material things. He doesn't set his heart on the accumulation of things in this world. He has a good grasp of the biblical view of money, and he gives generously and sacrificially. He's also hospitable. He has an open hand towards people to help them. He also loves what is good, that he has an open heart towards people, uh, and he wants to help those who come his way. He's also self-controlled. That means he knows his strengths, and he knows his weaknesses and endeavors to bring them under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly here, he holds fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So he has a growing knowledge of the word of God. He knows what his gifts and abilities are. And, of course, he wants to put them into practice in God's church. So the elder is continually growing and maturing in all these characteristics. It doesn't mean that he's arrived at them. It just means he's growing in them. 
they're recognizable in his life. So those are the character. And God's looking for character. He's not looking for degrees. He's not looking for somebody who could just do everything correctly. He's looking for people who have a heart, who have a character about them. And they live that way in public and in private. They're the same, and they know they're under the watchful eye of God. See, that's the kind of man God's looking for, to be an elder. So a second thing is that when we consider elders, we're considering their function, too that the officer of an elder, bishop, pastor, came from the Jewish element of society and stood for the wise aides, somebody who has dignity, someone who has respect. And one of the analogies given in Scripture uh, to understand the oversight that an elder has in his functioning in the church is an analogy of a shepherd uh, who is in the field watching the sheep. And where do we get that from? We get that right from Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where it says, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, which the Holy Spirit made you overshares to shepherd the church of God, which is purchased with his own blood. So in other words, God's giving the people that he saved and died for over to this, the care of these men. And, and so he's given that responsibly to them. It is a responsibility that we have to really take seriously. So a shepherd then really is responsible for the total welfare of a sheep. He is to guard them from savage wolves or false teachers, especially warning them when he, the elder, is not present to watch over there. In other words, teaching them so they have the teaching, and when they do hear something that is incorrect or wrong or something that could lead them astray, they automatically know because they were taught it, like the Apostle Paul says in Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 29 and 30. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and then here's the most frightening thing. It says, even from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And so we're to warn people. that, And that's why it's so important to know who your elders are, know who your deacons are, so the elders and deacons uh, together as they are functioning in the church can you know who to go to if you don't really have the answer to the question, you can go to them or a particular teaching that you heard. A second thing that we see in the function of an elder is that an elder functions as a governor in the assembly, ruling over the flock. See, God has given elders to, uh, as he's given them a sphere of rule, the extent of, his rule is in his own household, and all who come under the sphere of his rule in the local church. This is uh, why passages like this one bears out the authority of the pastoral office using politically incorrect words such as obey and submit. These are biblical terms. It says there, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
That's a heavy thing for an elder to know that they're to give an account to God for the people they've shepherded. It says, let them do it with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So in other words, we are working together, maturing together to strengthen God's church so the work could get done. And this governorship also is in his home, for the Bible says the wives are to submit, like it says in Ephesians 5, it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. In other words, Christ is the elder's example. That Christ's rule over the church is a considerate, a faithful, a gracious, a tender rule. So the elders, the pastors, they are to have this rule also in their home and in the church. So he is to rule his wife lovingly, and the wife who submits to the rule of Christ in the home, when that both comes together, it becomes a beautiful picture of what God intended as the husband lovingly rules in his home with a fair and a firm and affectionate rule towards his wife and towards his children. Of course, the Bible also says that his children ought to submit, where it tells us in the Word of God in 1 Timothy 3, verse number 4, it says he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. So children are to obey him with proper respect. And the mark of a submissive child is I will do what my what pleases my father. Now, a man with that character and a man with this calling will live that way in his home. It's a given to him. He wants to do it because he wants to please the Lord himself. For the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right to do. And then, of course, the church, his flock is to submit. I already read the passage in Hebrews. We're to submit. You are to submit to the elders there as we bring them before you, that these men are have the character. This is their function. We've recognized that. And then finally, in the end, we'll lay hands on them, as the Bible tells us to do, and present them to you uh, as the leaders of this church. And then there is a, a third area that an elder functions, and that is the area as a teacher. And this would really sets them apart from deacons. Uh, here, it says in the passage that an elder or an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. There it is there. So an elder is responsible for feeding his flock by declaring to them the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God. Acts 20, verse 27, where Paul says to the church, for I did not shrink from de declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So all elders are to have the aptitude to teach, and some are given over 
to this responsibility in a full-time basis. Some are not. But all elders should be able to teach. And he needs to continue to grow in his God-given gift to teach the assembly. Some are going to be teaching more in private settings or one-on-one settings, in the Sunday school setting. Some are going to be preaching and teaching. Uh, Some are going to be doing evangelism, but they must be apt to teach. That means one who is both able and willing to communicate to others the knowledge which God has given him. So he is fit to teach and be ready to take all the opportunities given to him uh, to be able to communicate, instruct in the things of the kingdom of God and the things that God wants us to know. Now, of course, God may give a greater measure of a gift to a particular man, like it says in Corinthians, and some you may give a lesser measure, but nonetheless, God will give a measure of a gift to a man where he's able to teach the word of God to people. So some of the minimum requirements for elder is that he must have a character growing in sync with Scripture. He must have a grasp of the basic content and doctrine of the Holy Word of God, and a biblical elder must stick to the Word of God and not his own opinions or his own notions. He must give them the Word of God because the truth does not change. It never changes. And he must have a proven ability to clearly communicate that particular truth. As it says in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and verse 15, it says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then it says in verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So in other words, men, you may not be a man this morning who's going to be up here and getting commissioned or ordained, but it should be the goal that you have as a man, whether you ever become an elder in the church, to have these characteristics, to have this kind of attitude towards the things of God. In this short life we live, you know what we need today? In our feminized society, we need men. We need men who are going to be men, and they know they're men. And no one's going to tell them otherwise, and they live as men, men of God. See, those are the powerful influences in society. Those are the ones who, who hedge against all the garbage that's coming our way every day. Every, every time you turn on your, your TV, you look at this and look at that, it's all being feminized. All the roles are being all confused and fuzzy. Nobody knows who they are anymore. No, we need to know who we are. And the church is one place where men ought to be men and women ought to be women. Amen? I need a big amen on that one. Now, that leads me to the diaconate. This is a different office in the church. But it's the same thing. God's looking for character in deacons. These men are called, they're selected from out of the congregation, 
and of course, they are then tested. And these men, like it says in the book of Acts, who do we look for? We look for men who are, have a good reputation, Acts chapter 6, verse 3, full of the spirit and wisdom, and whom we may put in charge of tasks in the church. That's who these men are. Now, if you notice on the screen, following Timothy and the Titus passages, first of all, these are men who are worthy of respect. That means they have men who are, are befitting good behavior, implying a dignity and respect about them. Men that you want to give respect to and honor to because they have a good character and they are serious about their Christian faith. Secondly, that they're sincere. That means that they're genuine. Again, no accusation can be leveled against them and stick. Also, they are not to be indulging in much wine, the same thing as elders. So they're responsible users of anything that could control them or have any kind of control over their flesh or their mind. They're in control of that. They also are not pursuing dishonest gain. That means pertaining to shamefully being greedy for material gain or profit. He's a man who does not have his heart set on the accumulation of material things. He has a good grasp, again, of the biblical view of money. He also gives generously and sacrificially. And then notice he's not double-tongued. That's pertaining to contrary contradictory behavior based upon uh, the pretense, pretense or hypocrisy, double-tongued, two-faced, hypocritical. In other words, he does not speak out of both sides of his mouth different things to one person and a different thing to another person. He is straight with his words. He shoots from the hip, and he's clear about what he stands for. The character quality is really not limited to one's speech. It's also limited to one's behavior. His verbal message mass matches his living. They both go together. They're not, he doesn't do one thing in his actions and one thing in his speech. He does the same thing. He's the same person all the time. Also that he must hold the truths of the faith with a clear conscience. That means he has a genuine faith, a pure faith. He believes God's word. He has a firm grasp on sound doctrine. Don't ever think that deacons are not to grow in doctrine. They are to be doctrinal, right? Because they're going to be doing counseling with people. They're going to be coming alongside people. They need to know the word of God to be able to use the word of God to counsel people. So they believe and have a firm grasp of sound doctrine and they have a firm grasp of how to live sound doctrine in, it, in their daily lives. Also, there are men uh, must be first tested, it says here in Timothy, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Tested means they are proved to be faithful in serving the Lord. All the men that are coming up here uh, in just a few minutes are men that have proved themselves in the church. And that so they have been faithful to the things they already know uh, in the word of God and who they are as a man. Also, a deacon must be the husband of one wife. That means he's a one 
woman, man, absolutely above reproach concerning his marital relationship. And then, of course, deacons must manage his children and his household well, and that means he's a good household manager. He guides them, he directs them, he leads them, and he has faithful children not accused of riotous living or rebellion. And then, of course, lastly, if you notice there, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So in other words, they have a heavenly reward connected to their faithful office. So a smile of Jesus when deacons have functioned in their office well. That's what it's saying there. Now, considering that, the Bible also says something else that there's biblical character qualities for the wives of the deacons, the wives of the elders and the deacons. It says in Scripture, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So I believe the Scripture teaches that these are the wives of their elders and deacons. So why? Because an elder and a deacon is going to be involved with ministering to people on all kinds of levels with all kinds of problems and all kind of information that they're going to have about people. They can't be talking about it with other people, right? They have to be both on the same page when it comes to that. So they cannot be gossips, right? And they cannot, they must be dignified just like their husbands. They have a character about them. They're temperate. They're faithful in all things. As a woman, they're faithful in all, in all things. And so that is, remember, the man holds the office, but the woman is to be qualified as the wife of that man holding the office because she's ministering alongside of him. But she does not hold the office. So in our church, Yin Ho, Sherry Ann Crumley, Emma Kaposha, Jane Bobby, our elders' wives, and then our deacons, deacon wives, Rebecca Fantuzo, Natalie Gussis, Noel Riccardi, Naomi Van Truen, and Juliana Dagnall are our deacon wives. So there's a special thanks that I have for Armano and Shay, who were ministering with us for quite some time, but uh, and served well, and they're stepping aside uh, for now. And so we want to thank them for their service to our church and the influence they've been in people's lives and the blessing they have been to us. Also thankful, thankful for all the, uh, those who held the office in the past, and now you're, just, you're not holding that office and functioning that office right now, but you're uh, for different reasons. All right, so that that is what we have going on in our church. And so considering all that, there's also the function of deacons. There's two functions of a deacon. And the first one is that of a minister of relief to the elders. So, so they are to make sure, deacons are to make sure the task of the church stays primary. And what is that? What is the task of the church? Well, we see in this passage of Scripture, especially in verse number 4, it says, but 
we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they pick out deacons from the, co- the congregation of people who are of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will be in charge of tasks so that the elders, in this case the apostles, tend to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word of God. So we are here reminded that the church's primary task is prayer and preaching. And first let me say that the preaching and teaching of the word of God and prayer is and should always be the primary business of the church. Everything else is secondary. The practical care for the needy is important, yes, but it is not the first priority. It does come in a close second, or better, in conjunction with carrying out the primary task. The mercy task is always presented and needs attention, and this is where the diaconate comes in. That's where they become vital. Where the Bible says in Acts, when the disciples were increasing in number, and then they had to feed the Hellenistic Jews and the native Hebrews, then the deacons were formed to take care of that task so it would not pull the apostles away from the task of teaching and prayer, the preaching of the word of God and prayer. So to relieve the elders so that they might devote their time to the word of God and prayer, that's what their part of their job is, is to relief, the relief of the shepherds because the church has been given the, the responsibility of ministering to the needy. Ultimately, it is the eldership that must give an account for a given congregation's participation in the ministry of mercy. In other words, are they calling out deacons from the congregation so those needs can be taken care of properly? And so that means that these two particular things in the word of God must, if you notice here, the deacons make sure the two priorities stay priorities. That's their primary function. It's, it's really, it's too burdensome to do both. And that's why I believe the Lord's given two offices. The word of, the ministry of the word and the mercy ministry are both weighty tasks in the church. And so God has ordained the diaconate to be the administrative body that sees the mercy needs in the congregation so as to relieve the shepherds of the congregation of this activity so that they may devote themselves to the word of God and prayer. And so as as they do that, they also serve and care for the table of the pastors. They also serve and care for the table of the Lord. They're the ones who are preparing uh, the Lord's table every first Sunday of the month, the visible elements. They're making sure that's being things are being ordered, things are being done, things are being set up. They're pre- pre- preparing candidates for baptism like we're going to see this morning. And also they are preparing the 
properties of the church, making sure that everything is used so the teaching ministry can go on. That, that means classrooms and nurseries and buildings and grant. All those things are included, but that's not the primary thing, as many times the focus has been that a deacon is somebody who takes care of the building and grounds only. No, that's only part of what they do. And, of course, they make sure that they're handling the money that they're responsible for in a responsible way. And, of course, the second thing is that the second function is that the deacons function as a minister of relief for the needy. To relieve the needy of the burden of their physical impoverishment, poverty, misery. The needy people need relief. It says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10, we have also learned that we are to do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, in this passage of Scripture, it gives us a priority. The church and the needs of the church come first. And if we're able to, if someone comes from outside the church, if we're able to provide to them too, we should. And, of course, what I mean by that as they serve and care for the table of the poor, it is the duty of the deacons to be aware of those in the assembly with monetary and physical needs, those who need help with their daily sustenance, the widows, the true widows of the church, the orphans of the church, children who have, do not have fathers to oversee them and be a male figure to them. Also, people who have lost jobs, who are all of a sudden become poor of health. We're to provide for, as elders or, and as deacons, the basic needs, the flu, food, clothing, and shelter. Those are the basic needs that we all have. So that means that if we put all that together, in Acts chapter 6, we can glean along with the distinction in offices of elders and deacons, and along with the priority in the church of helping the poor, it seems most certain that the deacon's job is to support and relieve the elders so that the people of God may be served in spheres outside the elders' primary task, which are clearly uh, seen in Acts 6, 4, but we will devote ourselves through prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. It was Alexander Strauch who wrote a book on deacons, which I use in our training. He said this, as long as the deacons of the church enable the shepherds of the church to carry out their primary duties, and as long, long as the deacon, deacons minister to the congregation's welfare needs, they are doing their job. So we're really given the real reason for the appointing of these deacons in Acts where it says, whatever tasks the elders assign them in order to relieve the elders from getting involved in, act in activities that would hinder them from accomplishing their task. That's what the deacon's primary task is to do, prayer and preaching the two go hand in hand. The deacons are the key to make sure they stay hand in hand. 
And so that means that once we get to that point, these men need to be commissioned. They need to be ordained. And the Word of God does tell us that we ought to do that. But you may say, well, what is commissioning? What is, what is ordination in this sense? Well, ordination is really simply a confirmation by the church of a man's call to serve in the office of elder and or the office of deacon. Ordination by the Calvary Community Church constitutes a formal recognition of one's call to the Christian ministry, his biblical qualifications, and his preparation for service. And then also, the Bible tells us that once we do that, we are to lay hands on them. Now, in Scripture, what is that? Well, the New Testament indicates that the elders slash deacons were formally installed into the office before the congregation by the laying on the hands. The ceremony is a public appointment to the office of elder and the office of deacon in which the fellow elders and oftentimes the remaining deacons lay their hands on the individuals that communicates to the church our approval, blessing, prayers, and recognition and fellowship that we are all to have together as we do the work of God. For it tells us in Scripture, and these they brought before the apostles after praying, they laid hands on them. All the official gifts within the community come from Christ. The laying on of hands was a commissioning service to affirm the choice of these individuals for a particular task. So we're to look out in the future among ourselves, the congregation, and to see who else is coming up, who else is giving us the sense of their character, uh, they have the character to be a deacon or an elder. Who else is coming up in the congregation who has the ability in character and teaching to be an elder? See, we, be, we should be looking for that all the time. And then once we get them, we bring them before the church, and we lay our hands on them, and that, in a sense, is ordination. So I thank the Lord for the men that give have given evidence of this particular calling and are ready. It's a very, I believe that uh, it's a high privilege to ordain and commission uh, people, men to the, to the church uh, as deacons and elders. And also this morning we will be licensing Pastor Dave Kaposha as our fellow elder in the gospel ministry because he has given evidence of God's call upon him. Again, it's also my high privilege to ordain and commission Bruce Weider, Eric Van Truen, Joseph P. Riccardi, and Caleb Dagnall as our newest deacons. These men have worked and served in our ministry for some time. And during the testing period, it became clear to myself 
and the congregation that these men have exhibited the gifts and faithfulness needed to fulfill the church office offices of elder and deacon. They have shown their faithfulness to the Lord, his word, and to his people. 